1: That's right, when you don't know what to do, just keep on breathing. From the City of Angels in Los Angeles, welcome to all my listeners out there in Radio Land. I'm Dave, the caregiver's caregiver at caregiverdave.com, along with my lovely co-host, former mayor of a California beach town, and best-selling author, Debbie Peterson. We're coming to you live and on demand 24-7 on numerous syndicated radio and podcast networks on 26 global audio-video and platforms, including iHeartRadio, iTunes, YouTube, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Vimeo, Stitcher Radio... Blog Talk Radio, CastBox, MixCloud, the list goes on and on. In fact, we are very proud and voted number one caregiver podcast on Feedspot out of thousands and number one caregiver podcast on Player FM out of the top 50. And we have an especially exciting show planned for you today, don't we, W? Indeed we do. Looking mm-hmm. forward to that. Michelle Manger has a passion for connecting with people as we navigate the adventures of aging and caregiving. As an experienced family caregiver with many years in the senior living industry, she understands the challenges we're all facing as we care for those we love. Michelle sets people up for success so they thrive in their caregiver role and not just survive. That's a line that I use. (laughs) But before we get started, I do want to take this moment and thank my last week's guest, Darlene Futches, the compelling voice behind The Get in the Boat, a memoir of love, loss, and the dance with dementia. And just a reminder, you can watch or listen to that interview and all our interviews on our membership website, caregiverdave.com, or any of our other 26 global audio and video networks that I mentioned earlier. Okay, enough of that. Michelle, welcome to the Caregiver Dave Show. We are so excited to have you on.
0: Thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted to be here and meet you, Debbie, as well for the first time.
1: (laughs) So, Michelle, we like to ask our first-time guests... uh, Who is Michelle Manger and why was she placed on this earth?
0: Ah, Who is Michelle Magner? Well, as a middle-aged woman, you can imagine I'm deep diving into this very topic right now. And what I am flushing out is I am on this earth to illuminate and elevate as many things that my soul, that God has put on my heart to do. And right now that is supporting caregivers, and assisting people with understanding senior senior living, illuminating senior living. I'm also a mom, and I'm a city girl with a country heart. I grew up on both coasts, and I've landed in Omaha, Nebraska, which is actually a bigger city than most people give it credit for, but <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, a little bit of uh, country and a little bit of rock and roll, huh?
0: <laughs> yes,
1: Well, and yes, um, caregiving journeys sometimes change. I mean, um, I was caregiving my wife, uh, still am, and she's finally settled into a place of comfort. And then I had to care for my mother who had dementia. And I forgot how bad that was until I started taking care of my mother-in-law. And Mm -hmm. I forgot how bad that was until I started taking care of my aunt. My first two died, and now she's my mother's sister. And boy, I think it just gets worse and worse and worse. My mother was so sweet. My mother-in-law was a witch. And now my uh, my aunt is trying to beat them all.
2: <laughs>
1: so um, <laughs> needless to say, I'm under a lot of stress, but I think I'm handling it well. I don't know. <laughs>
2: I
0: mean, you've got the just, just breathe attitude. That's always the first step, you're yeah, right.
1: Yes, and that's our theme song, our jingle to the uh, show, Just Keep Breathing. Anyway, uh, the caregiving journey, Um, why don't you tell us about your journey, how it began, where it ended up, if it ended at all.
0: I began as a family caregiver at the age of 27. I lived in Kansas City at the time, and both of my grandmothers lived in Kansas City, and I was the only family member in town. So as things were evidently changing in their life, they both lived until their mid-90s. I stepped in to help them um, navigate really everything from maybe it's time to stop driving. I'm not sure it's safe for you to live at home anymore. I was their both of their power of attorney, their POA, and it really was a privilege for me to have that time because it changed our relationship in really special ways. And we did everything. I, I helped them with everything through end of life care in their final hours on the planet. So that's where it really began was with my first grandma um, helping her with everything. My second grandma, I was also starting my family while I was doing that. So that entered a different layer. That added layers of complexity, hauling around infants and toddlers as we were navigating assisted living in nursing homes as well. So that is where it began.
1: Needless to say, you were probably under stress and probably flirting with burnout. Tell me about that.
0: And often times you don't even realize it's like the slow boiling frog story. You don't even realize how it's creeping up on you and it manifests in different ways. And I was taking it out on different people in different ways. Um, So my second grandmother that I cared for, that's when we were building our family and she lived 45 minutes away from me. So I would take the toddler to preschool, pack up the infant. We would drive across town 45 minutes to an hour, help her however I could And then drive home, pick up my other little kid. And so it was constantly putting strain on the baby, um, physical strain on me, because I always wanted to make sure we were going out and doing something fun at the time. So the stress of it really just, it did, it crept up on me. And I would find myself driving home in traffic sometimes sometimes with a screaming baby in my car, bawling. And for me, the easiest go-to solution was pouring a glass of wine. (laughs)
1: So
0: for many, many, many years, that was my relief was to, and it it felt very harmless. And I wasn't, you know, driving the kids around after drinking and stuff like that, but I would go home, I'd pour a glass of wine. But what ended up happening was it sent me into this like depressive cycle since as a depressant. And um, I gained a lot of weight. And so I was just unhappy all, generally all the way around. Um, and it, it was easy to yell at the kids or, you know, be mean to my husband <laughs> who were all just doing their best with their own lives and certainly trying to support me. So the yeah. stress of it really did creep up on me i inherited both of their homes with all of their lifetimes of belongings so like with the second grandma it wasn't just taking care of her it was just managing all the stuff too we had a storage unit um we we moved storage units three times like it was just wild
1: (laughs) did you eventually try to sell everything including the homes
0: um, eventually, so with both of them, so we ended up actually inheriting a third home with that next second round of caregiving that I have helped with my husband and I have done. Um, so we had for one of them, we ended up moving into the house, Dave. So it meant that we had to be really careful about what we were keeping. Cause we each, we had our own belongings too. So we did sell some and we donated some and we threw some away. The second home We did all of that. And then we ended up hiring someone to come in and clean it out for us. Like we paid them two grand. They came into the home. The next day, the house was empty. It was like a gift from the heavens. And then the third home, by the time we were walking around the third home, my in-laws, who I helped care for, I basically took Q-tips and sticky notes.
2: And then we called the people to come empty the house.
1: That's the way to do it. Yeah. Debbie? Debbie?
2: Well, that's really impressive. And I, it's, you started at 27, which is a really young age to begin caregiving. And I, I think this is the first story I've heard of someone who's starting a family and caregiving and inheriting property and managing all of that. It's that I can, I don't know how you could do it without burning out. So what, what do you do now? How did you, how did you resolve all of those things? You know, at the time,
0: first of all, I was really lucky because I had my husband is a solid partner. Like he was such a great sounding board and he would hold space for me when I was falling apart. Um, While I was the primary caregiver, my dad lived in California. My parents were divorced. My mom was living in New York, but they would come every now and then to like do a well check on us.
2: (laughs) Nice family.
0: So that was really helpful for both of those situations. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, and I feel like there's this cycle of caregiving and anybody who has been at any level of this, I think will identify with that. But there's just times when you are just underwater, like you really are just in survival mode, trying to get through whatever's happening that day, that hour. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I am really good at the get back to it, I don't know what that actual term would be, but like if I am in this space where I am just like completely drowning and feeling overwhelmed, the moment I have a flicker of energy, I am back to practicing my self-care, I'm exercising, I'm connecting with friends. And I think that for me has really been a leveraging point to survive this 20-year span of caregiving.
1: Yeah, the comeback. King. My goodness
2: yeah that's incredible wow i had a question in there i've forgotten what it was i was so fascinated by what you were saying it's amazing and well, I, it, it wisdom the- wisdom to delegate as well if you've inherited three homes you've got the finances available to to or you will have the to delegate some of that work that was a really good suggestion well
0: yeah. and i would say with The first home, it was a buyout situation because there were multiple people involved. The second home, we sold it, and every cent went into her estate. And when she died, she had $2,000 left. That was it. It was like enough to take the whole extended family out for lunch for Chinese after we buried her in Arlington. Mm. Um, And then the third home. uh, Arlington in D.C.? yes wow
1: very few are allowed to go there
0: yes my grandfather served in the army and so my grandmother um is buried next to him there
1: oh my Mm. my dad is there as well i actually have a funny story
0: i don't know if it's off color but i'm willing to share it
1: yeah anything is okay
0: yeah so my um in seventh grade here in nebraska there's a teacher that would organize this big trip to the East coast. So they go to Washington, DC. They go to Arlington Cemetery and then they go to New York City. So I, my daughter in Arlington tracked down my grandma's headstone. Wow. And she took, she had someone take a picture and she sent it back to me. And when she sent me the picture, my friend was like, Oh my gosh, what's she doing in Arlington? And I had this like complete break in my thought processes, brain fart. And I was like, well, she's dead. (laughs) I thought we were talking about my grandma. (laughs) What is your grandmother doing in Arlington? And I was like, I mean, I laughed so hard,
2: I cried. Laugh so hard, That's I cry. Funny.
1: That's an Edith Bunker
2: response. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so are you, are you finished caregiving? Is there more caregiving in your world right now? Well, right now, most recently, today
0: is actually the two-year anniversary of my father-in-law's passing. He was the caregiver for my mother-in-law.
1: Wow, a family of caregivers. In yes. your blood.
0: And then, so he passed before her which is not Mm -hmm. uncommon. And she passed away um, in April. It'll be a year. So kind of my local heavy lifting caregiving role just came to an end less than a year ago. That being said, my mother, who is incredibly healthy, she'll be 79 Uh, this summer. She lives in Canada. And then my dad, very healthy, 83. And my stepmom, age 80, they live in California. Wow! My mother is also um, married and has a wonderful husband, Papa Ron. So I'm entering this new phase, Debbie, where I'm becoming the out-of-town caregiver. And that is new territory for me because I've always been the in-town caregiver. Wow. And my mother my mother has been, um, she and I have had so many dynamic conversations and transparent conversations, and she's really helping me actually build out what I'm creating. And so as she came to visit me last in November, I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm realizing I need more information from you. Like if you fall down in your apartment, who my who am I supposed to call? Who am I? Supposed- so anyway, we're, we're like creating a whole new section of content for people to take into consideration when they're being an out of
2: town caregiver. Well, wow. So I remembered my question. Now I have a friend who uh, was the caregiver for a dear aunt who had uh, dementia and, you know, she was working full time traveling Um, had a husband and um, so it was in town but she was out of town but you know every drama every little crisis she had to be on and in addition to a a very difficult full-time job and so as you were talking about your juggling uh, Mm and your situation when you were younger it made me think of her because when her auntie died she experienced terrible um grief and it wasn't just the grief of missing her aunt but it was like she'd had this role that had been all consuming in her life and then it was gone yes. and i i had a similar experience when i i sold a business and i had no idea i would have that feeling and she had no idea she would have you did you have any experience of that yes it took me about 2 years
0: It took me about two years to feel like my head was above water again, because it had started around age 27. And then I was about 37 when the second grandma passed away. And we had a third child and he was one years old. Um, And it it did. It took me a couple of years to feel like I could breathe. And, you know, it took me like six months before that feeling goes away where you think, oh, I need to call her or I should ask Mm -hmm. my grandma that, you know um it took a long time and i would i will say also my mother-in-law was living with dementia for 12 years before she passed away a year ago 12 years and the grief that i felt when she died caught me off guard because it was like that whole time that we were in this space with her living with dementia um it's like you compartmentalize in your brain or you're in this different world or land trying to help them and so it's like i remembered who she was before the diagnosis it's like all came rushing back to me and the reality of losing sherry um just it was so strong it was like i was grieving Uh two
2: people wow a double whammy you grieve the original loss and then you grieve the final loss right it's
0: And I I mean, I think that other caregivers will identify with this. Sometimes there's also this little element of relief that we can feel guilty. We may feel guilty about um, when someone passes away because the caregiver strain has been so much. Um, And I didn't feel like the strain was so much, but it was just like she no longer knew who any of us were. She could no longer communicate in any way, shape or form. Um, so part of my heart was like, okay, it makes sense. Like, that's like the organic natural decline for, for that woman to die. But it was like this reality of just the whole loss. I don't know. It just felt like I had been holding my breath for a decade.
1: Where was she living?
0: So she lived at home until three years, um, before she passed away. And my father-in-law, they were living together but he had di- been diagnosed with cancer, and so his treatments had just zapped. I mean, they actually hospitalized him twice. He almost died twice because of the, the treatments.
1: While she was so still like, living at home.
0: While she was still living at home. like He had started oh. the treatments, and it just became physically too much and too demanding, and they did have mm-hmm. home health for a period of time. And so she, um, we moved her to memory care. A really beautiful community a wonderful team it was a really good environment supportive environment
1: because she would have been alone
0: i mean there was no way we could have kept her at mm-hmm. home
1: that's a great question that so many caregivers have to deal with i'm dealing with it now with my aunt when do you know that it's time to go out of the independent living or the, even the assisted living and into a nursing home or into a memory ward or something and and how yeah. difficult is that decision and how much do finances play a part in that decision and so on
0: I love this question because it's so personalized also so people have to make the best decision that they can for their family and i think somehow sometimes um there are so many emotions mixed up with that decision and what we make things mean that it makes the decision harder to make than it necessarily needs to be. So for me, if it comes down to health, safety, and well-being, those are three mm-hmm. benchmark, baseline things that we need to be looking at. So for example, for health, if your family member um, is getting up throughout the night and you are don't feel like they will be safe. If they are up throughout the night and you are no longer sleeping, it's not just the health, safety, and well being of the person; it's the health, safety, and well being of the caregiver.
1: Amen right? that, sister.
0: Yeah. So <laughs> we need to be making sure, like, if health and safety for either person is mm-hmm. compromised, um, well being, like, if you're not sleeping, that is a huge red flag. That is a huge, huge red flag for you. And I'd like to share: people don't have to guess what type of care someone else qualifies for like the building is going to help you figure that out and i think we use interchangeably sometimes nursing home and assisted living that terminology but they are first of all very different than they were in the 1940s they're very different than they were in the 1980s or 90s but once you start to have that conversation with a building they're going to help you know if it's appropriate for someone to be at that level of care
1: yeah you know it's uh, it's unfortunate but um the uh the really nice ones are very expensive and unless you have long-term care insurance or somehow um, you know finances somewhere assets then you know you're out of luck and if you're on um aid like in the assisted living waiver program for example if you're If you qualify for Medicaid, Mm -hmm. uh, you can still find a nice facility for the nice ones who will open it up. But many of them don't want to have anything to do with Medicare. Many don't want to have anything to do with Medicaid, I meant to say. And Mm -hmm. many don't want to have anything to do with Medicare. And, um, you know, like I'm telling people right now, if you're expecting Medicare to pay for uh, your stay in a nursing home and you get 100 days and that's it, and beyond that, you know you've got to be basically destitute to qualify for uh, assisted living with a waiver, and um I encourage anyone in their fifties, early sixties to get some long term care insurance. Yes. Uh, any, any comments on that? Yeah,
0: absolutely. So I am not an expert on Medicare Mm -hmm. or Medicaid, those, those programs, but what I do know for sure is Medicaid is going to do a seven-year look back, like a five to seven-year look back. So if there's any movement of money Mm -hmm. between family members or selling of assets property, like that is going to be a huge red flag to qualify Mm -hmm. for Medicaid. I worked in The most premier, beautiful senior living community, nursing home community in the Omaha area. And we did have 17 beds that were Medicaid beds. So it's I don't want people to just. How how many total do they have? uh, Total, we had 40 beds on that side of the building.
1: Well, that's a generous amount. So we'll blame them, you know, for for not wanting to take less money because they got to make a living. But uh, there are many places that might give you one or two or three, just as token, just so that they can say they're doing something, and and it's like winning the lottery, you know, for that lucky yeah. person.
0: It's really tricky, Dave, because I also think that people are misinformed and they're also not planning. And so to your point, I think 50-year-olds, I'm going to be 52. And our plan is to shift over into one of those hybrid insurance slash like life insurance slash long-term care insurance plans at age 55. That is our current plan. Medicare does not pay for assisted living. And that is a huge misconception that people are thinking that someone else is going to be paying for this. And so... I'm a planner. I love a list. I love a plan. I like to feel organized. It's like not a mystery that we're aging. It's not a mystery that we're living longer than ever before. And it's not really a mystery that the last 12 years of most of our life are in illness. So, like, we need to start thinking ahead and planning for what that care is going to look like. If that's in our homes, if that's going to be in a senior living community.
1: Right.
0: I agree. I feel like the system is broken because people are just sicker than ever, ever before. We're keeping people alive for so 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 long. Um, there's not enough buildings, there's not enough people. Like I'm really passionate about this subject because I think we need to have a little more personal accountability as we're aging. Yeah, to the best of our ability, and then also be thinking ahead. And not just think, well, I'm, dropping debt is not
2: a plan.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm discovering yeah, in the since, I'm selling, world, yeah. since I'm selling my business and I have to decide what to do with the money to replace the income. I'm discovering um, the magic of annuities. Insurance companies now offer an annuity. Uh, they offer a ton of them. But this particular one that I'm thinking of getting is my wife doesn't have long-term care. And so, you know, I've had to pay for all of her stuff. And she is on disability for social security uh but that's only 500 a month okay right. we fortunately didn't have huge huge expenses that weren't covered so but as we get older things could change you know and so they have an annuity now that will pay you x number of dollars a month and if you have to go into an assisted living or a nursing home or have a caregiver come to the home they will double that till mm-hmm. all the money's gone uh, and then and then they'll go back to the original amount. So you can get an annuity right now for a seventy-year-old like me and that pays eight and a half percent. And so you know that's like uh, eighty-five thousand dollars a year. And if we go into a nursing home or assisted living or need a caregiver, that eighty-five thousand will double until the uh, you know let's say we put a million dollars into it until that million dollars is gone. That million dollars only lasts thirteen years. Uh, and then they will, con- they'll go back to the original eighty eighty five thousand a year until you die. And that's, uh, you get best of both worlds there. You've basically got an, uh, an insurance uh, product because I have term insurance, but you know what? It expires when I'm 80, what happens after I'm 80? Mm-hmm. So uh, I think it's a great thing to look into uh, an annuity that has a double payout benefit. If you go into, you know, assisted living or nursing home or caregiving. So I was delighted about that. Uh, let's now talk about uh, the problem if you made promises to your dying father that you'd take care of your mother, you know, and please don't put her in a nursing mm-hmm. home, da-da-da-da-da. I hear it so many times, and that promise is killing people. What do you do about that? Yeah. caregiver, I mean.
0: <laughs> killing the caregiver. Yeah. I just did an episode, Make Plans, Not Promises, here I just heard it over and over and over again. The parent says to their kid, "Listen, okay. if I get dementia, just put a pillow over my face, smother me." Yes, right?
1: I'm I'm for that plan.
0: Or take me out <laughs> to the woods and shoot me. Well, murder make is it look
1: still, like an accident. You know,
0: murder is still illegal. <laughs> it is illegal, and if you don't live right. in a death with dignity state, that is not an option. <sighs> so what happens is, is parents were just like flippantly. Throwing this around, like, you know, take me out, put the pillow over my, that, okay, ha ha, and the reality is, if you cannot live here at home, where do you see yourself going? If you can't physically come live with me, where do you see yourself going? That is a very legitimate conversation that needs to happen, because a caregiver...
1: Nobody knows the answer to that question, by the way.
0: Well... Some people are ignorant
1: of what's out there.
0: Well, I mean, you got to explore. You got to find out what the options are. But to have someone make a promise to you under these circumstances, when everyone is fine, everyone is able to communicate, everybody is able to do everything for themselves. And then a situation changes or evolves or the health declines, or maybe my husband loses his job or something's happening with our kids. Like it is not fair and not realistic to make a promise under one set of circumstances and have that situation change and expect it to be kept? Or what if nothing changes? And I as the caregiver, I'm just like, I am done. I am toast. I can't do this anymore. That goes back to the well-being at the beginning. That is fair. That is a reason for us to be considering what other threads and layers of interventions can we bring in. So-
1: That's great. You're saying don't make the promises. What if you've already made the promise? I have a a way of getting out of it. I just say, listen, I know I promise this and that, and I'm just going to, I'm reneging on the promise right now, but I am going to replace it with a better promise. I promise to take care of you and give you the best care that is available for you. Yes.
0: Period, you know? Period. No guilt. No guilt. This is the reason. This is what's killing people is mm. is the guilt and feeling like you're going back on a promise you made. It's really just a simple matter of shifting our thoughts because all of our feelings are generated from the thoughts that we're thinking in our heads. So if yep. we can move from, well, I promised him to everything has changed. Or this was more than I anticipated, or this is not what I signed up for, or I have a boundary, or I have set a limit now. It's okay. It is okay to have your mind change and to ease into a different set of thoughts that are going to help you feel better about not being able to keep a promise.
1: You know, the people who love that uh, sitcom, uh, Sanford and Son, don't realize that uh, Lamont Sanford was really Fred's, uh, caregiver and Fred was always manipulating him and, and conning him and doing these cockamamie hairbrain things, you know, instead of putting his foot down, you know, Fred would do the, oh, oh, it's a big one. No, it's not real. It's a big one. I'm coming for you. It's a big one. And Lamont would just cave. And a lot of caregivers do that because the guilt is yeah. too great, uh, to handle, It's better just give in when you might be giving in to something that's going to be dangerous or life-threatening to that person. Like take away the car keys, for example.
0: Right. Here's the thing. We're living with two crummy choices. It's either (laughs) we're feeling guilty because we're not doing something or we're feeling resentment because we are. So in your mind, you think you're, I mean, I just want people really to get centered on this that you are choosing the emotion of guilt, because if you do something different, you are find yourself in a space of resenting someone for having to do it. So I just really invite people to dial into the circumstances where they're feeling the guilt, the situations where they're feeling the guilt, which is circumstance situations, the same thing, the people who are infusing feelings of guilt and then the thoughts that are coming up for them, because that is where your power lies. And there are other emotions on the wheel that you get to feel other than resentment and guilt.
1: You talk about the, uh, the merry-go-round. Debbie, why don't you ask a question about, you know, that merry-go-round and how it's uh, really not a good thing?
2: Well, the thing that I was interested in is you, you mentioned that your relationship with alcohol... Mm-hmm. Uh, And it looks as though it's changed. How, what, how did that work out?
0: Well, I was on the guilt, resentment, merry-go-round for a long time and then using wine very casually and freely to help me manage my stress. And also Debbie, there's just a lot of things in the world to be sad about and a lot of things in the world to celebrate. And wine was like my go-to for all the things. And, I literally, after 10 years, 20 years, you know, however long i had been drinking, at age 46, I was like, something has to change. Like, I I felt it in my soul. Something has to change because this is no longer working for me. I did not feel like my body was processing it as well as it had when I was younger. Um, I had realized I had been asking God, you know, give me the strength, give me the strength to To not drink. Well, I had to shift it to take away the desire. Gotta take away the desire. I no longer actually want to want this anymore. And it was a white knuckle situation for four to six months. I did go to like six AA meetings. I didn't quite feel like I belonged when just looking around the room. I didn't feel like I fit in. But then once people were talking, I was connecting with the emotions. Like, I feel overwhelmed or I feel embarrassed or angry. or And making the shift of my relationship with alcohol has just changed everything in my life Mm. because it's allowed me the mental space and bandwidth to take care of myself in ways that I didn't have before because I just went to that. That was like the go-to thing. But when I took that off the table, I no longer had to think about when I was drinking, where I was drinking, who I was drinking with, what I was drinking, how many drinks I was having, was I going to switch from this drink to that drink at midnight? Like all of that mental bandwidth went away and it gave me this clarity and space to be thinking about how else can I be taking care of myself? And what bubbled up were just healthier ways. And we always talk about exercise and journal and like all this stuff. <laughs> and like i get it but also i started meditating a little bit more which really worked for me um when i took that depressant out of my system i actually found more joy in smaller simple things like just watching just sitting and watching the rain come down which Mm -hmm. i don't know it doesn't rain so often in california but um i found more joy in the simple things and i found i was less triggered Like That was what was so wild, was that I actually, when I stopped drinking alcohol, I realized the triggers that would fire me up, that would excite me to go pour a glass of wine, I had less of them.
2: Huh.
1: Yeah. What an amazing story. You called called alcohol a depressant, and I think it's ironic how a lot of people who drink a lot of alcohol are on an antidepressant. (laughs) So it's like...
0: Yes. Like we, we are self-medicating in so many ways and especially women and especially caregivers. We know the statistics are not great for people who are in that caregiver role. Um, That was certainly what happened with my in-laws. My father-in-law was, didn't take care of himself and make those doctor's appointments. And he passed away first. Um, But to your point, like we are medicating, so are you medicating with sunshine or pills or alcohol or anything else? It's just an invitation to get really curious about what is working for you. Like if you wake up every day and at the end of the day, you feel flat and depressed and sad, like there's something in your life or multiple things that are not working for you. So that's mm. the invitation is to really Get still and curious about what in your life created joy. What in your life was fulfilling that day? How do we expand on that? And then what's triggering? What's upsetting? What's causing the stress? And let's figure out ways to reduce that.
1: Yeah, makes sense. Powerful. Talk about being willing to be uncomfortable. What do you mean by that?
0: Um. Everything about caregiving is uncomfortable, <laughs> but that's where the buffering comes in with, you know, the self-medicating it's okay to be uncomfortable. It is okay to have a, a present a question to your loved one. The situation is currently unsustainable. I need your help coming up with our next step. And then just Pause. Don't say anything. Don't fill in the blank. Just be willing to sit in silence and be uncomfortable. Past where you think there should be a response. We're we're sort of trained to be uncomfortable every day anyway, because we all step out of a shower.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: but once you're that. willing to be uncomfortable in conversations, in a boundary, in setting limits for yourself and deal breakers and then sticking with those that there's so much power for you as a caregiver with that
1: because I i can't believe how fast this hour has gone um michelle um is there anything that i haven't asked you that you would like to comment on before we close
0: i think i just want to reiterate caregivers that you are doing a wonderful, wonderful job. And many people did not sign up for this. And many people did not sign up for this to evolve the way it has. So I really just offer the three C's of caregiving, which are curiosity, Communication and compassion. have Be curious if something is not working for you or for them. Communicate. Communicate your needs. Communicate. Be open to when they're communicating with you something they need. And then having compassion for the person you're caring for is just essential for dignity. And then self-compassion is critical. So those are the three C's.
1: I just want to remind everybody that all our shows become recorded podcasts and videocasts on all our platforms. Um, like YouTube, uh, Podbean, you know, all those others. Um, also my membership website, caregiverdave.com is a f- free membership website. It's a community support group. It's got lots of free gifts and resources. And don't forget to click the like or follow button on whatever platform you're watching or listening to this on. It helps us reach even more caregivers by improving Google search engine algorithms. So I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. Is there a, a book or a website or an email you want to share? We start I
0: would love time? love for people to pop over to my website, which is michellemagner.com, M-I-C-H-E-L-E, magner.com. And then my podcast is called Inspired Caring. I would love for people to feel inspired to care for themselves as they're caring for someone that they love. Inspired, caring. So you can find me on the socials that way.
1: I love that. Debbie, how did we get a hold of you to find out all the wonderful things you do?
2: Well, the easiest way is just go to mayordebbie.com and there will be links to all of my books. My latest is The Leadership Secrets of Taylor Swift. And I I just got it in yesterday.
1: It (laughs) looks great. I love it. It's out in paperback now. I thought that was you on the cover for a second.
2: I did too. I wish. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, the principles that Michelle shared are the principles that work for whether you're uh, Taylor Swift or the mayor or whoever you are. They're really powerful things that you shared today. Thank you. And you you've been so on much.
1: tv a lot promoting that book haven't you
2: i have been on tv a lot promoting that book and also working in my local community with um with a with an issue we're dealing with now so yeah i've, I've done a lot of tv recently
1: she's a corruption fighter that's uh, <laughs> corruption in politics those are like contradictory words but uh keeps you busy yeah
0: <laughs> job security
1: well thank you again all my listeners out there for tuning in every week uh until next week same time same channel God richly bless you all.
2: Bye-bye.
1: Bye. Dave Nassani, the caregiver's caregiver, has just released his sixth book entitled It's My Life Too, Thrive to Stay Alive as a Caregiver. It was specifically written for caregivers who know they should be putting their needs first, but just don't know how. Dave is the sole caregiver to his wife, Charlene, since 1996. He knows firsthand what caregivers are going through because he is one. He now speaks all across the country, offering caregivers his amazing caregiver support package. Even the airlines tell us that in the event of an emergency, to put your oxygen mask on first, before you help your child with their mask. They know that those who don't heed their advice often black out, thus becoming unable to help either themselves or their child. And caregivers are exactly the same way. It's my life too. thrive and stay alive as a caregiver Will help caregivers who are neglecting their sleep, diet, and social life and learn to put their needs first. Pick up your copy today or buy one for your special caregiver on sale everywhere and at caregiverdave.com.
0: Sometimes it feels like the sun will never rise, like the birds will never sing. Uh.